0: Lord Jesus, thank You for Your overcoming death, Your resurrection, it changed everything, changed my life, it's changing the world, and one day You will return again and finally complete Your restoration of all things. So we are... We do offer our hallelujah, and we stand in humble praise before you. We want you to be famous and known throughout the whole world. We pray in your name, Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, it seems like I haven't seen you guys in a while. We, what, two Sundays ago, the snow, and then uh, last week. How was, was, did Corey, how was Corey? Did he do a good job? Steve, he was... Yeah, I appreciate Corey coming and uh, um, being there for for everybody speaking to our group. A couple of things. Um, I need to… So, three, where's Michelle? 300 bags. That is awesome, Michelle. And thanks to the church body because that, again, is… That's all part of our mission, our kingdom mission, that we want to be restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. And that 300 three or three hundred three individuals that are impacted. And I know we're starting, you guys are starting to put like a thing in there sometimes that's letting them know that this is coming from people who know Jesus, so that that's what we want, is that when we make a difference in somebody's life, that they're connecting it to His community. So, Michelle, great job. Mexico, I see some Mexico people here, I saw. They got back last night, so I'll be excited to hear about all of that. Again, down there being on mission with God. Um, A few other things. College students, I didn't bring a bulletin up here, but next week we want to have lunch if you go to college, but also if you are out of school, you've been out for a year or two or three, um, and you're kind of a young, not kind of, you're a young professional now, I'd also like to meet with you. I just want to talk ask some questions get a pulse of some things so we're going to be having lunch next week after the second service so we'd love to have you come we're going to be meeting in that room in the bulletin somewhere if you want to come we 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 would like to know and there's a phone number in there that if you'll text the words clunch c l u n c h that's supposed to be college lunch but clunch to that number then we can know that you're coming and prepare. So, if you want to be there next week, please, uh, please do that. Yeah, I had a great time at Exponential, even though people were secretly taking pictures of me without my knowledge. <laughs> that's great. Um, and Jonathan, we are not up, are we? I don't see the, my thing. Hold on a second. That's, that's why. Never mind. We're up now thank you, sir. (laughs) You'd think after 28 years, I would have that figured out. Um, After Exponential, got to go to Durham and our whole family. See Carissa, there she is at Duke. Yeah, Karen (laughs) thinks this is a funny picture because of all this space. He said it looks like some stranger just walked in and photobombed us (laughs) as we were taking the picture. (laughs) Actually, I think I was supposed to fill that space, and I ended up filling uh, the middle space, and that's us in front of her apartment. Um, Got to represent Kansas while you're there at, uh, at Duke University, right? Everything was green there, and well, pretty much green, so we had a really good time, but it's good to be back here. Uh, yeah, two weeks ago, we missed a sermon. I mean, missed a whole, not a sermon, we missed a whole Sunday morning due to the snow, and we're going to do that at the beginning of May once we're done with this series, and then Jordan's going to do a A thing after Easter. Um, So we will come back and finish that because it was really an important part of that, our journey onward. So, Um, but today we start a new series. And if you're new here for the first time at 12th Avenue, we really want to welcome you to this place, to our family. And um, we just want you to know that we're glad to have you here. So the new series is this The One True Story. We still have some postcards. a few things I want to say about that, um, my purposes I mentioned it a few weeks back, but is, number one, just to teach the story. I, I really am longing that the God's story would become our mental map, the way we see everything in the world and our lives. If you remember, it's a story from creation to corruption to restoration, through redemption. Um, but we're going to do it in a little bit of different form, and this is, this is more of a drawing kind of form that you can use um, in sharing with a friend, and that's also part of my purpose is I want to give you a tool, a way that if somebody ever engages you in spiritual conversation of anything, this is always my starting point. If, some, if I'm talking to somebody and they're just like, you know, how would you explain the suffering in the world? Like… You know, the event that happened in New Zealand a few days ago, like, how can there be a God or something? I'll just say, hey, do you, do you got a minute? Can I just briefly, to answer that question, I've just got to tell you the God's story, the whole story, and I'll go through the whole story, and then that becomes a launching point of further conversation. Um, this approach, I think, is biblical because it is a story, the Bible. Um, in the book of Acts, Paul, when he goes to people who did not know the Bible in Athens, he started, he didn't start with Jesus, but he started with the beginning of the story with creation and worked his way to Jesus. If you want to explain something to somebody, you don't start with the middle movie of Lord of the Rings, right? You don't start with the the two towers, but you go back to the Fellowship of the Rings, otherwise they don't understand, right? So I think using this way of telling God's story, I've found it to be very effective, you're, you're walking people through the whole story, and then you can come back and hit important parts. If we've been encouraging you guys to invite a friend, we still have postcards back there. Um, I've heard of several of you who are hoping that somebody would come, and especially we're kind of building up to Easter. I'm going to do the five parts of the story the next five weeks on Easter Sunday. I'm going to do the whole story. So if you want to see how I would do it, sitting down at Starbucks with somebody at a table with a napkin you'll see the whole thing done at one time and that's, that would be a great chance if somebody isn't here for this five weeks for them to, to hear God's story and especially the resurrection being the center of it. So, um, we're going to look at it deeply the next five weeks and then I'm going to pull it all together and do it one time on Easter. Um, one more thing related to this. Boy, it seems like I've got a lot of back stuff to do. Uh, if you have never seen the movie Tangled, At some point during the next five weeks, I encourage you to watch it, if you feel it's appropriate, to watch Tangled. If you've seen it, I want you to watch it again. Uh, And there's going to be a payoff to this come Easter, and just hang with me, but uh, I just would like to challenge you to do that. And then before beginning today, I really need to give kudos, this thing that I'm going to do, the story of God, to a gentleman named James Chung who first came up with this approach and gave me images for a lot of what I was thinking about and gave me a way to present what I was feeling. And then a few years ago, Jason Hubner, Russ Bout, Tom Reese, Scott Youngman, Andrew Bell, they've all kind of helped me to hone it. And so those guys have been very helpful, and I just want to give them a shout. So, okay, so we are going to talk about uh, God's story that's going to be the theme for the next six weeks, culminating in Easter. And I need to say something. When I talk about story, I'm not saying it in the means, like, myth or a fairy tale. That's not what, the way I'm using the word. The way I'm using the word is, let's. if you and I went and had coffee, and we sat down and I just said, hey, tell me your story… And you started with the beginning, and you told me, you know, you gave me an overview of your life, and then I just said, hey, can I tell you my story? So that's, that's how I'm meaning this, that if we, had, if we had coffee with Jesus, you really need to watch Tangled, really, trust me. If we had coffee with Jesus, and we said, Jesus, or with God, would you tell us your story? Um, I think what we're going to do represents that, so that's what I mean by story, and You know, this whole idea of a large story is is so important because we all have a story we believe about the universe. Um, Everybody believes some large overarching story. Carl Sagan, his story was this. In the beginning was the cosmos. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. That was his story. That's the story he lived by. And I have found over time that a lot of people don't realize what their overarching story is. But if you sit down and talk and ask questions, you can help pull out what their view, the story that explains everything in the universe the way it is. Uh, But I want to focus on and tell God's story. And remember, the Bible is not a book of teachings with stories to illustrate the teachings, but it's a singular unified story, a singular unified story with teachings that illustrate and inform the story. And George MacDonald, who was kind of the mentor, distantly, to C.S. Lewis, said, the Bible is to me the most precious thing in the world because it tells me His story. Um, And I love His story, and I think that by the time we finish on Easter, you will find it as compelling as I do. Um, I'm sure you do, but the story has captured my heart. Um, and I love what God is doing in the world. And it affects everything about how I live, how I view the world. It shapes everything that I do and everything that I value. So, um, now, one more thing about story, if you don't mind, why it's so important. George Lucas has said, and I mentioned this about a month ago whoever tells the best story wins. And he wrote Star Wars to change the way our culture viewed God. He had, he had a big… he had something big that was going on with what he was doing. Story is powerful and what he knew was is that we're storied creatures and we find meaning in story. Um, that's why when you come… we come home from, you know, North Carolina and Florida, you tell people stories, right, of what happened, of things we did, of things that you have learned. Uh, we take selfies unknowingly in the midst of our stories. Um, And as I said a month ago, we are not just storied humans, we are not just storied people. Um, But this age and this generation is all about stories, and movies are the things that shape us, stories are what shape our culture. And if we really want to speak into our generation, we need to know God's story, and we need to know how to tell it in a compelling way. And here's why. Andrew Peterson said, if you want someone to hear the truth… You should tell them the truth. But if you want someone to love the truth, tell them a story. Tell them a story. And that's what we have, is we have the story. You know, the world needs a better story. And we have the best story. We have the one true story. It's the one true story. So that's what I want to do today. Like any good story, the Bible has a beginning crisis and conflict, a rising action, a climax or a turning point, and a resolution, the end of the story. But it's the greatest story that's ever been told, and we call it the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Gospel means good news. This story is good news. It's the best news. Dorothy Sayers said, the Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man, and I totally agree with that. So we're going to jump in and start with uh, with the story. Now, I need to explain something if you want to like take notes. We actually should have given you a larger piece of paper. Let me see. I think there's more light over here. so what one thing I need to explain is when we do this on your if you want to draw this on your paper is we're going to end up having we're going to break the We're going to break the paper into four parts, and it's going to be one, two, three, four. There's actually going to be a fifth part up here. But So, in a minute, when I start, we're actually going to start over here with number two. Um, And, well, I mean, we just might as well do it. We're actually going to start here. Have you guys, anybody see uh, the latest Marvel movie, uh, Captain Marvel, right? If you've seen it. It, start, it starts with the scene that you're like, what is that? And you have no clue. And then it, the movie, let me see if you're, we're doing left or right, it starts with the scene and then it bounces back long before that and it tells a story up to that scene and then after it. That's very common in storytelling. It's called, I don't know, it's a Latin phrase, in media res, which means in the middle of the action. Frequently, stories start in the middle of the action. And then they go back, and they lead you up to, how did we get here? And so when I tell the story of God, that's what I always do, is I do this, this in media res thing. I don't start with the beginning, but I start with where we are, where we find ourselves. And so that's what I want to do this morning. So if you're doing this, we're, what I'm going to draw is what would go here. So we all live, here's the world, and I always like to put a tree on it. We live in a world that's very beautiful, right? Wouldn't you not, would you not say our world is beautiful? Um, we just got visited the Appalachian Mountains while we were with Carissa and the Blue Ridge, and they are very blue as you approach them. Very beautiful. We were up on Chimney Rock, got to see great distance. Been there, Carmen? Uh, it's a little foggy, but, or a little kind of raining, but still it was a really beautiful view. I want you guys to tell me, what are some things in this world that you find Beautiful. What what do you find beautiful in this world? Sunsets, yeah. What else? What? Waterfalls. We saw a waterfall while we were there. Butternut. My wife. Your wife. (laughs) All right, that's (laughs) all right. Skylar gets an A plus for today, right? All right? Can I come have supper with you guys tonight? You're going to have something special. (laughs) Okay, what else in the natural world do you find beautiful? What? A A what? A heart. heart. Like, just, you mean like a human heart or (laughs) like, explain that one. Oh, okay, love, and we're going to, in a minute, I want to come to human things, but yeah, very much so. What other things in the natural world do you find beautiful? Birds, ocean, yeah, I was going to say, do I hear anybody from mountains here? Tall 14ers, the blue sky, the Flint Hills, yes, Flint Hills are amazing. Yeah, sun through the tree leaves, okay, and I think we also agree That that people are beautiful, right? Love that people have, the heart. What are other things you see? Where do you see beauty in people? Um, Kindness. Babies, yes, very much so. Joy. Compassion. Gratefulness, creativity, Creativity. a community of people putting together 303 bags for children they don't even know, right? Going to Mexico and blessing people, they don't know. That's beautiful. Any other things? Where do you see beauty in humans? Sacrifice? Thought I heard another one. Compassion but i think we would also all agree that this beautiful world is very broken where tell me where in this world where do you feel in your gut and i really want i want to talk about the natural world right now not human brokenness where in the natural world do you in your gut feel the pain of the brokenness of our world death cancer Pardon London. flooding which we've had in Nebraska earthquakes, earthquakes. earthquakes. war, war. Fire. Pardon fire. fire yeah flooding I mean we already said flooding tornadoes hurricanes huh yeah, right, predator animals. But not only is our world broken, but humans aren't Don't you know you're very broken? Don't you feel it deep in your soul? How how do we see the brokenness in humans? I Scott said war. That's a brokenness among humans. What what are other ways you see brokenness among humans? Division. What division. division? Hate. Pardon? greed, people who take selfies of others without them knowing it. (laughs) Okay, so here's the question, how did we get here, right? I mean, things like in in New Zealand the other day, a guy just goes into two mosques and shoots up, what, 49 people, or the, the flooding, the stuff, that big storm in Colorado that Sam was just showing me like there's all this flooding in Nebraska, whole towns isolated and all of that. Can we pray for some of that, by the way? Father, I pray for this broken world. Our hearts ache when we see things like the shooting. Lord, we pray that You would use that, You would redeem that for Your good, that people through that, that You would be giving grace and comfort, but that through that, people would come to turn to You and know You through that. We ask that You be at work to stop those kinds of things. Lord, we, even the, our neighbors up north in Nebraska who have all this flooding that they're struggling with right now, cattle buried under snow out west, we just, we pray for that. Pray for our whole world. We long to see Your kingdom come and pray in this in the name of Jesus, the one who died for it all. Amen. Yeah, so how did we get here? Has it just always been this way? If you believe naturalism or atheism, like Carl Sagan, in the beginning was this, and this was, and this is, and this is ever going to be, that's his story. The Bible tells a different story, and so if you're drawing this, we're going to come back over here into this quadrant now. The Bible tells a different story. Well, my earth shrunk a little bit. Okay. Um, and here's, here's the story that the Bible tells. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was a place that was where His, his full unfiltered presence was. Um, Isaiah 6.3 says, The whole earth is full of His glory. Um, It was the creation at the original, the beginning was a place that was full of His radiant glory. John Piper says, What is the universe but the lavish demonstration of the incredible, incomparable, unimaginable exuberance and wisdom and power and greatness of God? Elizabeth Barrett Branning says of our creation, what God created, that earth's crammed with heaven. Every common bush is afire with God. It was a place where... um, where God, and we can write him in here, where he was the king and where he reigned, because it was the place that he created. And not only that, but in his creating, we're told in chapter one that the pinnacle of his creation was the creation of humans. Where well, we're told that God spoke and he said, Let us make human beings in our image. And likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Let them rule over the tame animals, over all the earth, over all the small creatures, small crawling animals on earth. So God created human beings in His image. In the image of God, He created them. He created them male and female, and God blessed them. So He created humans as the pinnacle of His creation. Here's what Psalm 8 says about us. I look at your heavens, which you made with your fingers. I see the moon and stars, which you created. You crowned human beings with glory and honor. You put them in charge of everything. You, Everything you made, you put all things under their control. So he made that first human, male and female, put them on the earth to cultivate it and to care for it. All the while, they were living under the loving rain and in an intimate relationship with God. So, what we have to draw. So, they're living in, under the loving reign of God. And here's the heart. That's not a very good one, but an intimate relationship with God and with each other. It was a place of intimate communion with God where, where man and God, like, they dwelt together. There was no separation. And again, the, He put them in a place to rule and reign over this creation while living under His loving reign and in relationship with Him. I want to show you two really important things that the first two chapters of the Bible. So, if you want to read, it's Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters talk about this part of God's story. And there's two really important things that it says. Six times as it details how God created this, how He formed it and He filled it, six times it says, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good, God saw that it was good, it was good, it was good, God saw that it was good, and then he says, I'm telling you, it was really good, At the, after the creation of the humans, he says, it was very good. It was a place that was the overflow of God's perfection, of his beauty and of his goodness, every aspect of creation radiated his goodness it was perfect it was exactly how he wanted it to be the other thing that we're told about this creation when he created not only was it good was it very good but we're also told in genesis 2:25 the last line of this part of the story it says the man and his wife were naked they were naked and they felt no shame no shame. That word is really huge, um, and I want to show you why. Shame is a relational word. It's about relationship to others, but it's also about my relationship with myself, and shame comes from broken relationships, either broken relationships with other people or a broken relationship with myself. If you ever, have you ever had a broken relationship and you see somebody that the broken relationships with at Walmart or something, and when you see them, you, your eyes go down, right? Or you cast a glance to the side. You won't look them in the eye because there's shame in that, that broken relationship. But shame not only is between broken relationships with people, shame is something we have when we're broken in ourselves. And the feelings that accompany shame are feelings of being defiled, polluted, corrupted, contaminated, that somehow I'm defective, I'm impure, I'm irreparably irreparably broken. Shame always brings with it a sense of feeling unlovable, that if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't accept me. If people really knew me as I know myself, they would turn their back on me. To have no shame means that all relationships are right and properly ordered. It means that there's no broken relationships between individuals, between God, between creation. I'm going to show you this in a minute in more detail. No broken relationships. Also, it means no broken relationship internally, that I'm not broken here. To have no shame means that my sense of myself is being clean and unspoiled, faultless, flawless, pure, healthy and whole, and most importantly, lovely and acceptable. Wouldn't we all like to live and walk in that all the time? But we don't because we live in a world now that's full of shame. This idea of shame is so important because it speaks to the totality of who we are as human beings in four key relationships. And here are the relationships. My relationship with God, my relationship with other humans, my relationship with myself, and my relationship to the world, the natural world. These are the four key relationships. Spiritual, emotional, social, and physical. And as we go through the story of God, we're going to talk about all four of these because they're really important. Now, which of those relationships do you think is the key relationship? What would you say? Yeah, the spiritual. The relationship with God is that key relationship. Um, I always, when I've done this with students, I show it this way. I've got, this is small, it's going to be hard to see, but I have a magnet. And there's a small metal ring attached to the magnet. And then I can take this ring, and if I put it on this one without touching the magnet, what do you think is going to happen? It stays attached, right? And then I can attach another one, and it doesn't work. <laughs> it should. It did earlier. I did a test run. Okay, we'll just do two. But what is it that, um, how is it? that these three things are connected to each other by their own power. They're held together by what? By the power of the magnet. So the key relationship in all of this is that relationship with God. That relationship becomes broken and separated. The rest falls apart. Does that make sense? So that relationship is really key. um, That God-centeredness. And so, what we learn is, is that there was no shame in any of these relationships. Everything was properly related to each other. Now, there's a word that the Jews, the rabbinical scholars and all used to describe the world when God first created it, and it's the Hebrew word shalom. We get our word peace from this, but peace does no justice to this word at all. Cornelius Platinga says in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom is a state of wholeness and well-being. It's a state of universal flourishing and delight. Absolute goodness permeates and prevails everything, prevails everywhere in this place, everything is rightly ordered, rightly related, everything is in perfect harmony, everything is exactly as it should be. So the world that He created, it wasn't the world that we live in and experience now that's broken, but it was a perfect world that was full of His shalom. And in that world, all of those relationships were full of the shalom of God. Their relationship to God was full of that right ordering and everything was perfect. Their relationship to each other was a relationship of shalom. Their relationship to the physical world was a relationship of shalom. We're told that when God created that garden, it was a safe place for them. No natural disasters. It was a safe place for them. And they were created and told to cultivate it and care for it, to take care of it. So there was to be shalom in the relationship with the physical world. And there was shalom internally Not that sense of brokenness and contamination, but a sense of of pureness and cleanness. Um, It was the perfect world, created exactly to God's design specifications, and the natural abundance and thriving and flourishing that came with His presence, a place filled with His shalom. Everything was good, everything was right, everything was rightly related, and it was filled with God's blessing. And so, we give a word, three words to this, about our world, it was created for good, created for good. Everything He created, the way He designed everything was for good. The good of the universe, the good for us, it was for the good of everything. That's the first part of God's story. Um, Now, I grew up not knowing this story and not believing this story. I've talked with hundreds of people about the story of God. And there's a common question or a common thought about this. Oh, that's just a pipe dream. That's only in fairy tales. Only children like I saw Maggie here earlier, there she is, only children like Maggie believe this, but adults like Jordan and Katie, I mean, we know better, right? But here's what I want to argue, that I believe deep down inside of all of us, we know that this is true, we know that this is true. Oh, that, by the way, that's, uh, yeah, that's it in a more perfect version. We know this is true. In The Lord of the Rings, the first movie, it starts this way. The world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. And history became legend, and legend became myth. Deep in our souls, we all long and dream of a perfect world, right? We talk about it. We make movies about it. We write songs about it. We imagine it in our music. Dorothy sings about it that's somewhere over the rainbow way up high. There's a land I've heard of once in a lullaby the place where the dreams that you were there to dream really do come true. There's this longing for this this place. A lot of philosophers, poets, musicians have written about this longing. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about this longing as a signpost that's pointing us to this greater reality. When philosophers and people talk about it, they call it this nameless soul longing. C.S. Lewis called it an inconsolable longing. This unnamed something that we long to have. There's this memory trace, a dim echo, there's a faint shadow in our mind and our hearts. The desire for a better place, a better world, the longing for some lost paradise. There's a German word. Nate always wants words from me, big words. Here's my big one. It's Seinzucht. And German philosophers have a word for this it's a yearning a craving or a sensing that something is profoundly wrong or missing in our world a longing for something we remember but that we've never had a sense of an retrievable loss it's this feeling that not everything is right in our world and we long for a better world a perfect world right the desire for a better place, this better world, a longing for some lost paradise. It's expressed in terms of mystical distant lands like El Dorado or Shangri-La. This desire for, um, I wrote the word down in my hand last night and I forgot it, but utopia. There's this sense of longing for utopia. A desire for something that's actually never appeared in our experience, but we're never satisfied with not having it. We, we want it. So here's my question, where did this desire come from? Where did this longing come from? This thing that all of us inside, when, like when a shooting happens in New Zealand, we just say, I wish the world weren't this way anymore. I wish it would just, everything would, can we all just get along? Have you ever heard that? Where does this longing come from? C.S. Lewis would argue that this longing is rooted in reality. So let me explain. Now, back row cannot answer, and Oak Michelle's gone, but Aiden, you cannot answer this question. But how many of you right now are hungry for some momos? I mean, you can't wait to get out of here to run home and throw some momos in the pot and have them for lunch. Is there anybody here longing for momos? Just You, can't, you, can't, you just have this, this hunger, this desire for momos. Well, none of you, except for a few. Do you you know why? Do you know why you have no longing for momos? Because you've never experienced this wonderful food from Nepal. But once you've had it, you occasionally get a a hankering for it, right? You get a longing, a desire to have momos. C.S. Lewis would say that the universal human longing for this shows that somewhere in the past human experience, this perfect world existed And it's written on the human soul, and we all want to get back there. Does a fish ever think about dry? No. Because all they know is wet, and they've never experienced dry, so they don't think about it. C.S. Lewis gives the example of two men who were raised their whole lives in a dark room in total darkness, nothing in there, just themselves. And he said, do those men who've lived their whole lives in utter blackness, and that's all they know, do those men sit and have conversations about what blue would look like, or what green would look like, or how much they wish they could see red? They would never have the conversation because they've never experienced it. And you can't talk or have a longing for something that you've never experienced it. You never dream of something that's not in your experience. And C.S. Lewis says, that is the strong clue that points us to the reality that this world once was and really existed. Walt Whitman wrote of this perfect world we long for when he said, Is it a dream? Nay, but the lack of it, the dream. This is not a dream. The lack of it is the dream. C.S. Lewis says, This is a good world that's gone wrong, but still retains the memory of what it ought to have been. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always been seen, which we've always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. J.R. Tolkien, certainly there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature is soaked with a sense of exile. And Matt Chandler, in his book, The Explicit Gospel, says, At some level in the deepest part of our soul, our soul remembers, however that happens, what life was like before the fall. At some really deep level, our soul has this impression cut into it by the finger of God Like the grooves on a record encoding the memory of what it was like before sin entered the world, our souls are groaning to get back. This is the world we all desire and long for. And I would say the reason we we desire and long for it is because it was reality in human history and it's embedded in the human soul. But as you know, in any good story, there's always conflict that arises, a crisis that takes us away from the beauty of the beginning of the story. And so, next week, we're going to come and talk about Skylar. No, not Skylar. We're going to come and we're going to talk about this. How did we get here? What, what, what brought the crisis in God's story? So... That's your invitation to come back next week. Okay. So, here's my summary of kind of this. Interesting, as I typed this this week, like four or five times whenever I was typing created for good, I kept typing created for God. I kept leaving an O out. Uh, And then I thought, you know, that's not by accident because that's what this story is. That's what this story is, is that we were created for God. We were created by and for God. And as our creator, He desires a real and intimate relationships, relationship with us. God loves me, and He seeks my love in return. For me to live under His loving reign and in loving and intimate relationship with Him. That's the purpose that I was created for. And until I have that, I will never be filled up, never be full. So, that's his story. I'm excited for the next four weeks after this to… I'm hitting these in detail. um, And then, like I said on Easter, we're just going to go through the whole story in one setting. And I wish you would be praying for that because there will be people here who don't know his story. And… So, I'm excited about it. So, if you have a friend that you think this would be good for them, grab a postcard back there at the Welcome Center and give them an invite. All right, we need to finish one more thing. Kylie, come on up. This is Kylie McGregor. Kylie, um, I'm going to come down beside you. Is that okay? Kylie became a member of 12th Avenue. Can we, like, give some? She, She desired to covenant with us and to be part of, like, part of the family, and she got baptized back in January when we did that, and that was exciting, and her baptism, they were all exciting. Hers, to me, was, they were, yeah, hers cost her something, and that's a lot of the internationals we baptized, it, it cost something, so you stepping out for the Lord in obedience, that first step was really significant. So, we're going to have Kylie in the back, if you guys on the way out would come shake her hand and welcome her as part of the family. And can we all stand and end in prayer? Father, thank you for your story. I thank you that this world that we live in that's broken is not the way it was. And it is your promise that it's not the way it will be. And I know this because of the death and especially the resurrection of you, Lord Jesus. I pray that over the next few weeks that this story would get embedded in our hearts. We would see the beauty of your story. I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know it, that, Lord, this would capture their hearts and they would long and come to know you through it, the author of this story. Thanks for Kylie. And for who she is, for the gifts she brings to our family, our body, our community, and we welcome her into this role of covenanting with us and saying, I want to be a part and I want to, I want to belong more deeply. So we pray all this in the, the name of Jesus, the center of the story, amen. And as John Sapp used to say every week, go and be the church.